Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge podcast, where we discuss creators of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and on this episode, I'm joined by director Angel Christie Williams and screenwriter Felicia Pride of Really Love, currently streaming on Netflix. Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge, Angel and Felicia. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. So be here. Yes, yes. I was just telling <laughs> you guys that it's history on my on the Spectrum Lounge podcast. This is the first movie that we have actually talked about where we it was written and directed by Black women. So congrats, yes. Wow, <laughs> yes. that's so amazing. I love it. I hate I hate that we're still at this first. Like we're still. But I'm happy you guys are here because, you know, your movie kind of opens the door for other Black women creators and inspires them to tell their stories. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, the movie dropped. Really, really love, I believe, premiered on Netflix two weeks ago. And it was in the top 10 uh, queue of the most watched movies. How does how does it feel to have your baby, your project out into the world? Oh, man, it's I think I'm still floating a little bit. The response has just been overwhelming and, you know, we really feel the love. Like it's, it's just been an outpouring, you know, and it's, it's more than I know I ever anticipated or imagined. Yeah. I'm right there with Angel. You know, I also, it's just been such a long time coming, (laughs) Um, and so to, and there's so many milestones in filmmaking, like selling it, then getting a green light, then produce, you know, finishing the film and then getting the film up. So there's been so many steps and this Mm -hmm. final step, I think that I'm still processing and, and awed by that. Like we, we made it (laughs) we did it (laughs) and it's here. And people are feeling it, you know, and, and able to watch it around the world. Like, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, um, I forget which film festival it was. Barry Jenkins moderated a, po- a panel after a screening of Really Love. How was that? Yeah, the AFI Fest. Um, mm-hmm. We did a special screening with them. I mean, that was phenomenal. I mean, first of all, you know, it's always um, just a beautiful thing, A, to be in conversation about your film, but then to be in conversation with a filmmaker that you admire so much. I mean, Barry's entire body of work is about love um, mm-hmm. and Black people. So, you know, to be in conversation with him about the film and just kind of hear, you know, how he responded to the film was both surreal and also just you know, just like this really beautiful, um, you know, process of releasing the film out into the world. Right. Right. Um, I was just, I, and I think that's one of the things that I really love about Barry is that he's really like an advocate for black women creatives. Like he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And I, I've just noticed that he'll use his platform to like moderate or tweet, be like, Hey, there's a movie by black women out there, you know? And, I just I feel like we just need so much more of that in the industry. That would, that's that's what you call so allyship. much more. So um, much yeah. more. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so so tell us about the genesis of Really Love. How did this story come to life? What was the inspiration? What were some of the black romance movies or other you know movies that kind of inspired this this project? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, before Angel and I met, um, I had been trying to get this movie made for several years and, you know, I I had, even when Angel and I met, I was describing the movie as Love Jones meets Blue Valentine. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know, this idea of wanting to do a couple of things. One, a romantic drama that, you know, featured Black people living, loving, fucking, um, creating, making, um, and a plethora of different types of Black people, right, across the class, across walks of life, across the diaspora, and then do it in a Black city like D.C. that has so much art and history and foundation and community and its own art forms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so those were the things. And so when I met Angel, you know, I partly moved to L.A. six years ago, partly to get this, try to get this film made, and met Angel and... Um, she she really connected to that vision, um, and I'll let Angel speak more to like that that piece of things. Okay. Yeah. So she um, Felicia shared the script with me. You know, we just started talking, and she pitched the script to me and told me that she was looking for a director to attach. Um, and I said I would love to read it. And so she shared it with me. I read it that weekend center my shorts. And then that following week, I think it was, we grabbed dinner and talked about, you know, just my impression of the story um, and how familiar it felt. And that began the journey of us making it together. And, um, you know, I had finished film school a few years prior, trying to figure out what my first feature was going to be. Um, And, you know, wasn't really sure what that what that was, what that script was, but I knew that I wanted it to be a romance. And so this just kind of felt like, you know, the universe being like, oh, here it is. You know what I mean? (laughs) And, And so, you know, just was excited to A, tell a love story about Black people, but then also to go back home and have it be set there, you know, in a place that just felt so familiar. Like, I felt like, I knew these people, I knew the characters, they were my friends, they were my family. And I had, you know, like walked these streets, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, it just, everything about it just felt so right. Right, right. Um, so tell me about this cast, because I mean, the two leads are played by Yutha Wong Loi Singh um, and, and Kofi Sirabo. What was it about those two where you felt like, this is my Isaiah and this, this is my Steve. So we, you know, when uh, Felicia and I first started collaborating, we were creating lists of like all the people that we wanted to collaborate with and, you know, in every aspect um, to make the film. And that included, you know, both department heads that I ended up collaborating with, but then also cast, you know, so we just created this dream list of like, who we saw playing every single character. And, And, um, you know, Angel, do you remember, I just remember today when we went to go see like a screening of kicks because Kofi was Oh my goodness. I was telling Kofi (laughs) about that the other day. I do remember that. And we sat in the front row because there was like the only seat left and they did a Q and A and Kofi's like sitting right in front of us. And we were just like, Oh my (laughs) God, this man, he it's looked just, amazing. Like his skin was glistening. It was yes. glistening. <laughs> glistening. Like the movie. Much like the movie. <laughs> yes. And I told him that story and I had never told it to him before, but I remembered it the night uh-huh. after the LA screening when we were at the bar celebrating. And I was like, I never told you this, but I came to this, you know, Felicia and I came to this screening and Q&A of Kicks. 
at, I think it was at USC. Yes. He was like, oh my God, you were there. And I was like, we were, <laughs> and we were, you know, we were scheming about who we wanted to play as a, he was like, yo, that is so crazy. But so Kofi had, was on my list, but we mm-hmm. were supposed to start production in June. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was in production on Queen Sugar until like, you know, the first or second week in July. So it was just kind of like, okay, well, we can't, we can't have him because he's not even available. And then uh-huh. as production would have it, our schedule pushed. And all of a sudden, uh-huh. Kofi was a possibility. So, you know, my casting director got the script to his people. He read it, you know, kind of in between shoot days, uh-huh. loved the story. Came out to LA and we had dinner and ended up talking for like five hours. And I was just like, I mean, we talked about life, love, you know, relationship. We talked about being black, being an artist, talked about music because he also, you know, makes music. And I was just like, oh my God, he is this character. And he was just Uh so passionate about, you know, the story and, you know, my vision for the project that I was just like, Okay, like I'm I'm in if you're in. And then once he signed on, it was like, okay, now let's find her. And um mm-hmm. when Yuta came into the room, I felt it. It was just like, I mean, first of all, she threw him off balance. They threw each other off balance. And the chemistry was just so palpable. I mean, I turned around and all of my producers were just like, they had you know, stars in their eyes. And I honestly, you know, just thinking back, I can't imagine like any, any other actors playing Isaiah and Stevie, like they were just perfect. Like you felt it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and the, the supporting cast is equally great. You've got Uzu, uh, Uzu Duba. That was just like, Oh my God. Um, And Blair Underwood and, um, you know, uh, Suzanne Douglas, who we lost earlier this year. And, Michael Ealy and it, it Jada like how did how did um that come together as far as getting the supporting cast? So um you know we we focused obviously on him and her first um and then you know the supporting cast and just building the families around them honestly you know black actors really responded to the script like I think you know it's in and I hate that we're still here, but like, they just don't get to play these kinds of characters very often. Like Yuta said to me, um, you know, I think it was at our, we did a premiere in Baltimore as well, but she said, you know, I was just so excited to have two parents in a movie. Wow. Wow. That were black. That were black. (laughs) That's important. Yeah, no, it's true. It's it's very true. Like I'm trying to think of how many roles I've seen Blair Underwood play where he played like a dad. I can't really think of that many. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I'm just sort of like, which is which is weird. He was but, just so good in that role. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, uh, yes, yeah. I go back with Blair Underwood. Like, I'm dating myself. L.A. Law, like <laughs> Jonathan Rowland's era, like yeah, back yes, then. Yes. Like, yeah, and yes. he's just he's just aged like fine wine. Yes. I mean, oh, he's just, yes. I mean, I've been in love with him. I've been in love with him since I was a little girl, too. I mean, you know, like all of, I mean, this entire cast was like, 
you know, mm-hmm. these folks have been on my list since, you know, for years and years and years and years, you know, yeah. Suzanne Douglas, like I've admired, like, you know, for a very long time and she walked on set and I was just like, you know, I was like, okay, like you can't be starstruck. Like you, you have, you have scenes to direct, <laughs> but just, you know, just the magic of being able to collaborate with these actors that I've seen for so very long was just like, you know, incredible. Right. So what was, what was like, uh, as far as like the production schedule, how long was the shoot in, um, in Baltimore? Like we did, uh, we did 18 days um, in the summer of 2018. Um, oh, we did. Yeah. Like 17 days in Baltimore and then a day in DC. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tight schedule. Um, but we got it done, you know, we got it done. We had a, a really, um, incredible crew. It's crazy because when we, um, when we were shooting, there were like two films that were in the area. There was like, I think Wonder Woman was shooting. Yeah. And then there was another what? film that I don't even remember now because it's been mm-hmm. three years, but you know, so we, you know, initially it was, it was a struggle to find crew, but we ended up, you know, getting a really, really good crew. Um, a lot of local folks, you know, like I have a collective of folks in Baltimore um, that I work with often. And, you know, it was just, it became like a little family in the summer, that summer. Right. Oh, so Felicia, were you, were you on set during, during the shooting? Yeah, I was on set for, um, now I think, I guess it was like two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just amazing you know, I just remember walking down the block and seeing all the trucks and being like, wow, like people showed up to make something that came out of this collective imagination. And Mm. it's just, it was, that was an amazing feeling too. Yeah. So what was it like, like the first scene that you saw where you saw the actors saying your words? What was, what was that? Wasn't that the, wasn't the first scene we shot when they were walking back from the club, Angel? Was that the Um, first you know, I no, I think the first scene that we shot, it actually ended up on the cutting room floor, but it was when the girls were coming to the coffee shop from the yoga studio. Oh yes, yes. Yes, yeah. One I, I I missed that scene, but yeah, I just remember I wasn't there on the first day. Like I remember, you know, pulling up and getting out of my car and walking to set and seeing all the trucks and seeing that like there was this company on the street in Baltimore and being like, Oh my effing God, like we are making (laughs) this movie. You know what I mean? And like, it was just so surreal. Like I was just so Mm -hmm. probably too excited on that first day, you know, that I was just like, (laughs) you know, I had to, I had to pull myself like back down to the ground, you know, like it was just, it's such a weird and odd feeling like, you know, for something that you've been working on, um, and then you finally see like, okay, it's happening. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about the cinematography in this movie, because the way that dark brown skin is shot in this movie is so beautiful. <laughs> Number one, who's, who's the cinematographer and how did, how did you come about finding this specific cinematographer? So our cinematographer, Sean Peters, um, Sean and I, 
you know, have a bunch of mutual friends, had a bunch of, we're friends now. Um, that's like my brother. But so I had admired his work from afar. Like, you know, he, he's, you know, worked with Terrence Nance a lot and, um, just did this series, um, with, uh, Dominique Fishback and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, but, you know, had just always admired his work and, um, you know, when I sat down with him to talk about the film, I just loved the way he talked about loving black women. Um, mm. You know, and and like, you know, he even brought that to set. Like I was joking about how he would he would hold he would be like, hold up. Utah's light is not right. Or Jay's light is not right. Suzanne's light is not right. Like, I mean, he just and. You know, he did the same for all of um, the male characters as well, but he just has such a sensitivity and a vulnerability in the way that he tells stories um, mm-hmm. that I just, you know, I think that um, the film just owes so much to, you know, just that sensitivity and that and that lens. Um, but, the, you know, the collaboration with him was just incredible. Yeah, because I mean, I know there's there's a couple of intimate love scenes um, and even like just the way that he shot Utah, it didn't feel objectified. It didn't feel like it was coming from a male, like it was very soft. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because I know some people have feelings about nudity, but I always feel like as long as it serves the story, I mean, if you're making love, of course you're naked. I mean, like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I, it, I, it, so when you were shooting the love scenes, because I know there's been, you know, conversations about shooting these scenes. Um, now, you know, there are intimacy counselors to make sure that, you know, the, the, the women actresses are protected because we've heard so many horrible stories of mm-hmm. actresses that were sort of so what was it like on set when you shot the love scenes with with Utah and, and Kofi yeah you know the intimacy coordinator um is a brand new thing like we didn't you know that wasn't um something that we had when I was making really love but what I what I did do though was um and this was at the suggestion of uh one of my um producers Mel Jones we had both been doing um tantra work um, and chakra mm-hmm. work. Um, and I, um, enlisted, um, you know, a Tantra, uh, yoga teacher by the name of Kamali Mentor, who worked with, uh, both of my leads, Kofi and Yuta. And she did, um, individual sessions with both of them and then a group session with the two of them. I love that. Yeah. And that is so cool. I love that. Yeah. So, um, like right before we started production, she had worked with them and it was all like mind, body and chakra work. And just about, you know, sharing space and creating, you know, um, that sense of intimacy and closeness. And, you know, like I, you know, I never want to, I'm like, I want to do that kind of work with actors, like regardless of if we're doing love scenes, because it just opened up so much, um, not just amongst the two of them, but for the three of us. But also we, Uh you know, the love scenes were the things that terrified me the most. Um, I was saying this earlier, like Felicia wrote them so vividly that, you know, when you're reading the script, you're like, damn, like, and then I was like, but wait, I got to direct this. Okay. You know, but. I think, you know, just really having conversations about, um, 
the drama and the intention and where their characters were emotionally, like really helped us approach it. And, and especially me, because I think like a love scene is just like any other scene. Like there's story that's happening. There's sometimes conflict and sometimes not. And so I think, you know, approaching it in that way really helped me communicate to them um, what it needed to to look and feel like. But also they understood like where both of their characters were emotionally. And, you know, the other thing that I'll say is, and Gina Prince-Bythewood gave me this advice because I'd shared the chemistry tapes with her um, probably like a week before I started shooting. And she, she watched that tape and she said, you need to put your love scenes at the top of the schedule. And I was like, what? Like, wow. she said, they have real chemistry. You don't want them to be, you know, dreading these love scenes for the entire shoot. And that was like mm. the best advice that I got. Yeah, that that reminds me of, um, I remember I was uh, watching an interview with Steve, McQu- I think it was Steve McQueen when he did Shane. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was a, a almost love scene with Nicole Bahari and Michael Fassbender. And I think Nicole Bahari said like the first day on set, that was the first scene that they shot. Wow. And, and Steve McQueen asked for that. And it was sort of like, hi, nice to meet you. Okay, let's take her for our clothes. <laughs> but she was like, but she said something similar to what you said. She was like, you know, it just got it out of the way. I didn't have to, you know, worry or just like, oh my God, the scene, what, what am I going to do or whatever. Yeah. So like, and mean... in a way, she, it, 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 it kind of built trust between her mm-hmm. and Michael Fassbender because it was just like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand that completely. And I love... Nicole Bahari so much, but yeah, I mean, that's real, you know, like they, yeah. if they're thinking about it, then there's just like all this anxiety building up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about the artwork, the, the artwork that we see, because uh, Isaiah is an artist, the artwork is so beautiful. I love the texture of it. Who, who created the artwork for the movie? So the painter who created um, all of Isaiah's work, his name is Gerald Lavelle. Um, he's from Chicago, but he's based in, um, New York now. He just moved to New York. But, um, I, so Karan Davis, um, who is Noah Davis's widow, who's a, was a huge inspiration for, you know, just what Isaiah's work looked like. And he also, he as a character even references him as an inspiration in the film. But so she, um, was so instrumental for, just my research and really trying to paint like as vivid as a, of a picture as I could of this painter's both professional and um, personal life. But so I had been talking to her, you know, just about the film and, you know, we knew that eventually we would have to find, you know, someone's work to use in the film. And so Karan was, you know, she had read the script and, you know, she was aware of like, what I wanted the paintings to feel like. And so one morning I had a DM from her and it was Gerald Lavelle's Instagram page. And I saw that work and I was like, oh my goodness, like this is it. And I sent him a a cold email that just said, hey, I'm directing a film. It's about a painter who's trying to get his first solo show and he falls in love. And um, I'm looking for a painter to collaborate with. And he responded to the email in less than 24 hours. He had read the script 
And he said, oh my God, this is my life. I would love to do it. And so my production team rented him a U-Haul. He drove to Baltimore from Atlanta with all his paintings in the U-Haul, came to Baltimore, stayed there, lived with us for a month. And he brought everything that he owned at the time. And then he created like somewhere between like 10 to 15 new pieces just for the film. Oh my god! So the 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 one at the end, her. That's the picture of the yes. character. That that what he made that one. He, right? Yeah, he he. That yeah. was an original for the film. So we did um, a photo shoot of Utah um, in pre production before we started the actual filming. And um, because right. his process is, he photographs and then he paints from the photographs. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's great. Um, So you had mentioned this earlier as far as like, you know, getting the funding for the movie and then getting distribution. I mean, I guess both of you can speak, Angel, you from a director's point of view and Felicia from a screenwriter's point of view, because we we just see deals, right? We'll see like, you know, Variety or Hollywood Reporter will be like, oh, so-and-so movie is being developed. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who are just like, well, okay, so what are the Mac the mechanics that go behind it is it do you just walk into a studio and say hey i have an idea for this movie and i need money or like what what were the some of the things when you walked into where you were just like okay it's not what i thought it was or what what were some of the things that you learned in the process of, of getting this movie distributed and and produced and all of that yeah i mean felicia i'll let you start because you can kind of start from the beginning yeah i mean <clears throat> there you know I wrote the original screenplay that became this movie 10, 10 plus years ago. And at the time, oh, I had no idea how to get a film made. Um, so <laughs> it was a lot of like trying to get people to read it and um, to like, and then we also like did a proof of concept with Tisha Fortune and I, um, who's an EP on Really Love. And, um, but then I got to the point where I was like, moving to LA was sort of me getting really serious about trying to get this made. Um, and, uh, the interesting thing is, is that we had a lot of no's. And then when Angel and I were really ready to go out with it, the first place that we pitched was Macro, which was the production company that financed the film. So it was like, (laughs) we, we, they were the only place we officially pitched. I mean, we had been sending the script around to a lot of people to try to read and, potentially set up meetings, but they were the only ones that we officially pitched and they decided to finance it. Oh, thank God for Macro. I love that. I've met Charles King's one and he's just the nicest person. I think he did a, a panel for uh, Nalip at the Latino Media Fest and he was just sharing like his experiences and like he just has like this uh, this devotion and like this passion for like these kind of projects of just showing Black people and people of color and just like their regular everyday lives. I I, I just love this stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a big deal when you, there's one thing to be, to say that, you know, you want to see more representation and that's another to put your money where your mouth is. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's definitely what macro did was they put the money up Mm -hmm. and it can be hard for films like this. You know, there were a lot of no's in terms of the idea that black people didn't want to see a drama like this. Um, a lot of the no's were there. There are millions of films like this, and you know I would have to respond with black people in it. You know, so it was just this idea <laughs> of projecting what black people wanted, um, and so it was, it was. It was tough. It was tough. 
you know, the especially, you know, if you think about the theatrical landscape and movies have to be a certain kind of way. And even over the time period of trying to sell this film, there were different theatrical cycles, right, of what people wanted. But um, the the in the sort of small romantic drama of a black people um, is a rarity. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the pandemic, um, you know, this film was supposed to premiere, you know, uh, to an audience at South by Southwest in 2020, you know, and then the pandemic hit. So then like taking the film out into the marketplace, you know, in the midst of a pandemic, like that was a whole other thing, you know, like taking the film out to buyers, but virtually. Right. So it's like, not only are you not um, exhibiting the film at a festival, but you also can't like exhibit it in any sort of screening room um, anywhere. Right. Because no one was gathering, you know, when we were um, taking the film out to buyers. So then it became, okay, well, what's the black, the best platform for sending out secure screeners and okay, well, nobody's watching them together. They got to watch them at home alone and then convene. So, you know, selling the film, was a whole other process. Um, And I'm so grateful that we found a home at Netflix, right? Because, you know, now the film can be seen globally, you know, and people are responding to the film and it's resonating with folks all over the world. Um, But even in the marketplace, like, you know, just some of the offers that we were getting for this film was like, yeah, so it's black people in love, there's no trauma. Mm, we think it's worth, you know, $1. And it was just like, wow. you know, like laughable, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's, that's where we are still. Right. Well, let's speaking of trauma and I, I'd be curious to see what you think. Um, I was on Twitter, Felicia and Angel, I saw you guys were there too. A couple of weeks ago, this was when uh, Netflix was promoting really love and someone, I don't know who this person was, they went to the website and, you know, there's basically like the blurb of what the movie is about. And it says, you know, it said a struggling artist meets an aspiring law student, blah, blah. And whoever this person was took a screenshot of the synopsis and was like, oh, another more black struggle love. And they were just like making all these assumptions about what the movie was about. They were like, oh, we're going to see black women give up their dreams. And he's a brokey. And and I was just laughing because clearly they had not seen the movie, right? And and unfortunately, this tweet this tweet went viral to the point that people were like, "Oh, well, I'm not going to watch this movie. Like, this is what." And I remember Felicia, you came on Twitter. You're like, "Wait a minute, what just happened? Here? What was like when you guys came on Twitter and kind of saw this conversation surrounding really love? Like, what was your reaction to that? Like, you know, well, so." This is so funny because I was just, um, sorry to cut you off, Felicia, but I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm laughing because I just, so I didn't even see the tweet. Someone sent it to me. Um, but this Mm. morning I just had to, I don't know where that log line came from, right? Like the word struggling has never been in our log line anywhere. Um, but Mm. it, it somehow like was on Netflix and we corrected it. 
after you know black twitter love them came for us i was like i was like what are they talking about and then i saw the screenshot and i was like oh god so i asked the producers i was like can we correct this but so this morning i get a draft because we're about to release um the original score and the mm-hmm. media outlet used that love line with the word struggling and i see it and i was like y'all this cannot be published like this tomorrow like Black Twitter is going to come for us. So I'm like, I'm <laughs> laughing because I'm like, now that it's it's out there once and like somehow people keep getting it. But yeah, I mean, I love that though, you know, folks were like starting conversations about it because I think it says a lot about, like, I agree. Like, why do Black people always have to be struggling? Right, right. How about you, Felicia? You know, because <laughs> I just, like I think I responded to your tweet because I was like, "Oh, what movie are they talking about?" I had no idea. They were <laughs> I was like trying to get the tea. I was trying to get the tea. I was like, "Who are they talking about?" Lord damn! And I was like, "Oh, it's oh my movie. And I guess it kind of honestly, I didn't feel like nervous. I didn't feel scared uh, because the one thing that this has taught me. Um, is that black people want to want to feel that you've cared. And I knew mm-hmm. even if we didn't get it completely right, everyone involved in this picture cared. And I and I felt right. I felt comfortable on that intention. I was like, you know, people are maybe jumping to conclusions, maybe not. You know, also people have choice to watch, to not watch, to talk shit. Like it is their prerogative. But I felt mm-hmm comfortable on the intention of like we cared about black people in the making of this film and that made I guess that kind of made me feel like it's gonna be okay like I didn't feel Angel might have but I you know what I mean because like from a different perspective of like from a directing perspective but I didn't I just was like actually kind of amazed and then also I'm like wow they talking about our movie (laughs) you know what I mean yeah like really (laughs) talking about it talking about it already like whoa and then when the trailer dropped and that just did crazy numbers it was like oh okay Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. is here but I didn't feel I, I was I was grateful for people for yourself and you know the Kirk and everybody was like defending it and I but I was like I I could lean on the fact that I knew that we cared in the making of this film Mm. Right. But I mean, I, I guess that goes to what you were saying, Angel, is it, it could be because I think a lot of people, the reaction is about the quality of, of Black films that ha- we have been getting before that kind of depict that struggle of. Right. So I guess they were just like, oh, another one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so that leads to the question. There's There's been this debate and this questioning uh, the last few months in Black Twitter about uh, Black trauma and Black pain. Right. Like, should we should we depict these things in our films, right? Or do we, we just need like comedies and dramas and sunshines and, you know, we don't, we don't want to talk about the difficult stuff. We don't want to talk about, like, it's just to the idea where even if black characters are facing some sort of challenge, it is now equated with black trauma Mm. and pain. So I just wanted to get what your, your guys' opinions on, on that. All right. Listen, no, go go ahead, ahead. Felicia. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, especially as someone who works in TV where, you know, you have, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be tension. I think that there is an issue with how our trauma is um, exploited, 
right? I do think that there's an issue with that. So people are not like making shit up when they're talking about it. You know, I think, and then also you find that there is an issue with people uh, in power in this business who do not care about black people. And these are not just white people. You know what I mean? There are people in this business who are black, who do not care about black people and they make shit. So I understand where people are coming from. Um, but I think that as, as storytellers and as creators, we can't shy away from the sort of lived and real experiences of Black people, but there has to be a care with it. There has to be uh, an understanding of why we're telling this particular story that has this particular trauma. There has to be an understanding of, you know, the care for the audience and how they might receive it. Like all those things have to be in play in these decisions. And I feel like sometimes they're just not, you know? Um, and sometimes, you know, one thing that I learned working on Queen Sugar um, you know, through Ava and through Anthony Sparks is that, you know, you are a storyteller and an image maker, right? So sometimes what's good for the story is not good for the image of Black people. And what's good for the image of Black people may not be good for the story. And you have to make sure you negotiate that in a way that is healthy for your audience. Because I think sometimes we also have to remember that like at the end of the day, yes, we create as creators for ourselves, but we're also giving this to Black people who have a lot to already deal with. So we want to make sure that we're doing it with care, that we're doing it with love, and that we're doing it with intention. Um, so that's my opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that care and intention is the key word, right? Like, I think that for me, right, because I'm I'm an image maker and a storyteller, but I'm also um, part of the Black audience, right? And so if I feel like I'm watching a Black character, right, who has trauma or who has challenges, like, as long as I can feel, like, a real sense that there is care, given to this character in that story, right? Like, I'm going to watch that story. I'm going to receive that story. So I think that, like, part of this conversation is, like, there's a much deeper analysis and question that's happening. I think the question that's also being asked is, like, you know, who has the right to tell our stories, right? Because some of, you know, the trauma that folks are talking about, like, we aren't, the agents, us Black people, aren't the agents of those stories. Right. I also think what's important, that sometimes that's missing from these things, is the idea of joy and hope. Mm. And the fact that Black people are not, even all of us live with trauma, right? But that is not the whole of our existence. That's not the sum of our existence. Within that, we still are managed to love. We still have managed to, you know, that you think about a Michael K. Williams to dance. We are still yes. managed to to um, give, to to be of service, to laugh, to yes. make mistakes. Like I think also it's like being able to to present a full picture. A lot of times the picture is just the trauma and we are losing, like, that's it. All they do is go, you know, go like white people hating them. Like there's so much more to our experience that I think sometimes we, these sort of stories that people take issue with, um, forget the whole of the black experience, which is varied and bright. And, you know, folks can't even, who are, can't even fathom black joy. You know what I mean? That's why they're always trying to suppress it and not show it. Cause how can you have joy in the midst of everything? And still, we still have it. We still find it. We still share it. We still give it to each other. And I think that's the piece that we're often missing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much, uh, Angel and Felicia, for joining us. Um, as uh, Really Love is currently streaming on Netflix. Um, I, you said that your your guys are about to have like uh, international release, right? So that it's here, and they're planning to show it overseas. Oh, it's everywhere now. Yes, it's <laughs> everywhere now. Yes, awesome. So awesome. watch it um, everywhere. Can, can, um, can you let everyone know where they can find you on on social media? Yes, I'm on um, Instagram, Angel Christy Williams, and then also on Twitter, Angel Christy WMS, which is Williams, which the, is the way that my father pronounced Williams. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How about you, Felicia? Um, I'm at Felicia Pride on Instagram and Twitter. And I just want to thank you, Rebecca. You know, part of the conversation oh, is about Black critics. So thank you so much for sharing our work analyzing our work, uplifting our work, challenging our work. Um, it, it all makes the difference. Yes. Thank you. Thank, oh, you. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you listeners for listening to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you on the other side.